leadership today is more than just a position in an organization. It's also a mix of proven practices that produce results. Welcome to Adesis Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak Adesis. Our program will bring you the how and why of successfully led businesses or organizations with not-for-profit goals and how you can apply the Adesis Methodology and make it work for you. Now, here is Dr. Ishak Adesis. Hello, hello, hello to everyone. I'm so glad we can have another show here. And we have a very, very exciting, very interesting guest on our radio show today, and he's coming from Israel, and uh, he will tell us all about his company. We have known Russell now for how many years, Russell? How many years do we know each other? Probably um, oh, since 96. In 96, it will be what? My gosh. 16 years? 16 years. This is a very long time. But that's, plus is very fast. Uh, Russ, tell us about us. Well, tell us about your company. He's the CEO of Tower Jazz Company. Tell us about the company, please, and its success over the years. So they have a good vision about uh, uh, feeling about what the company is all about. So Tower Jazz is a semiconductor company. The headquarters is in Israel. It's a dual-listed company in the Tel Aviv Stock Exchange and in NASDAQ. We have four manufacturing fabrication areas, two of them in Israel, one in Newport Beach, California, and one in Nishiwaki, Japan. Um, we have, for the past several years, been the number one foundry in our sector, which is specialty analog factories, of which there's you know a myriad. There's probably over 20 of some reasonable size. And we, in 2010, became number one in the sector at having broken 500 million in revenues. Uh, last year in 2011, we continued and expanded our lead at about 611 million revenue. And we're continuing on an annualized first half basis to have growth this year as well. So expect to continue leading that segment. When you took the company, how big it was? 94 million revenue by wafers. And losing money? Uh, losing over 60 million cash. So it's a $90 million revenue, $60 million losses in cash company that you took. Why would you take a company in such a terrible situation? Uh, interesting question. Um, at my previous company, and that's where Dr. Desis and myself had gotten to know each other, it was Applied Materials, uh, the largest semiconductor equipment company in the world. And at that time, under a great, great leader, Dan Maidan, uh, I had been asked from 2000 to 2002 to be involved in the final integration and making successful an acquisition that the company had done in Israel. I went there to Israel, worked there for two years, and we turned everything around very strongly. And I was very, very impressed with Israeli scientists, the mentality there, the aggressiveness in technology, the fact of questioning everything, of not taking anything at face value. So I did a, a due diligence, and my first round of diligence, I found something really fundamentally wrong in the company. In, in Tower. In Tower. And I thought that um, it would be an interesting thing to try to turn around. What was so, so, so wrong? Structure. Structure. Structure was wrong. Okay. We are back to the, <laughs> to the crown jewel of the whole thing, structure. What was wrong with the structure? Um, at that time... 
the company had a central R&D. It wasn't broken down any business units. It was just one big central R&D that was located in the factory in Israel, and it had a central sales and marketing that was located in California. The sales and marketing would go out and make commitments to customers and had absolutely no capi to try to make anything get done. The R&D was very project-based, not market-based. So there was just a, a big disconnect between the two. Disintegration. I just want to repeat this for the audience because they might not know what copy is. A copy is really authority, power, and influence, the totality that you you can make things happen. When you have copy of the authority, of the power, of the influence, you can actually make things happen and implement things. So the sales organization had no copy, and the research was in the United States. The research and development was in Israel, and they were doing their own research, you know. The, this integration between sales and marketing vis-a-vis R&D, and that was really causing the trouble of the company. So what are the changes that you did? Uh, the very first change was to know that we had to create um, business units. We called them product lines at the time. So we took a central R&D group, and we split up the R&D into four different product lines with each product line having a general manager that ran Is the that product Is that what I did when I came? That was that was a big change, right? That was what believed needed to be done and um, had asked you within my first few months, having taken over as the CEO, to come. I, I believe it was a three-day offsite that we did together with the senior managers in the company. Right, I remember that, yeah. And we fundamentally restructured. Um, your big help then was in defining the specific groupings of the product lines. Right. But the the restructuring was at this point now to not only have the R&D broken down per product line, but as well to have the product marketing also in the product line itself. Right. That the general manager was able to define his own roadmap, have the resources to meet his own roadmap, and at that time as well the customer support was in the product line also so that they would have the ability to interface with the customers real-time and to continue doing all of that. So it is a decentralized integration. You decentralize and then integrate each unit, sales and development together so the product line could be focused and fast in, in, in deciding and implementing. And on the financials then, each um, product line general manager was given specific revenue targets and gross margin targets. And that we tracked and followed up on, we were able to start forecasting and we turned the company around very quickly. I, I was there and I came in toward the end of Q2 in 2005. And we set our first target to... Wait, wait, wait. So the company in 2005 was $90 million? Yes. And now we are 2011, 12. You want to tell me it took you seven years to go from $90 million to $700 million? Yes. Uh, I hope the audience is hearing this. In 2005, the company was $90 million in revenue, $60 million in loss. And cash to, loss. Cash loss. And today, the company is over almost $700 million in revenue, and it is positive and operationally positive cash. Mm-hmm. Very strong. So that we are talking about, what is it, six, seven years? Seven years. Oh, my God. It's almost tenfold growth. Mm-hmm. And you attribute that, first of all, to change the structure and to focus the people and have measurable goals that they're supposed to achieve. The very first change was purely structural as decentralization. Right. It was putting resources and authority, capability in the same hands and giving very strong financial targets. 
Fantastic. Well, you also changed the strategy, didn't you? Um, yes, that wasn't immediate. That was in getting to know the, the business and getting to know the different product lines. When I went there, um, there's in, in semiconductor, there's two basic types of semiconductors that are made. One is digital technology, which follows Moore's law, which requires an extreme amount of capital expenditure. New tools continually, every technology node to reach volume manufacturing, you're on the order of three to five billion dollars between the development and the investment for the manufacturing. There's the analog side to where you're investing tens of millions of dollars, but it's a reuse of existing technology nodes, putting more content into it. Right. So one is bleeding edge, the other is leading edge with know-how. Yeah. And so we, we changed the strategy there and um, the predominant amount, well, I can't say the predominant, all of our growth has been within the specialty analog. That's a major change. Mm-hmm. And this was, so what you did was you did the first structural change and then a strategic change. Yeah. So, well, that's important for the audience to listen because most consultants do it the other way around. And in this methodology, we do structure first, strategy second. Usually they do it strategy first, structure second. And this is a major mistake. I have a blog about it. Anybody in the audience wants to know more about it, please go to www.dizes.com and there is in the archives a blog. Is strategy first or structure first? And we say structure first. Why? Clean up the mess first. So people have a focus. People have a responsibility that they can carry out. Now, when when you free the energy from getting stuck, when people are now focused and organized, they can think clearly, then the strategy will emerge. The strategy will not emerge otherwise. It will emerge in the eyes of the consultant, and they will give you a report, but it will not be implemented. It ties into pretty much the famous quote by Napoleon, we engage and then we see. (laughs) You first have to engage. You get the structure right right, so people get involved, and then you see what's happening. Excellent, excellent. Now, what the... um, Remind, I remind, remind, our first meeting was when you were sent to, you decided to come or you were sent to me for coaching, right? I that mean, was our first one-on-one meeting, but we had many organizational meetings. Now, let's go with the one-on-one. What was it that really impacted you the most from that one-on-one? Because I remember you were telling me something which really what stayed with you a lot, or changed your managerial style. What did you learn from that? So I was recommended to visit you. Um, for what I call charm school. <laughs> I got into, uh, I think, not not uh, because I did something. Uh, Russell, we have to stop, I think, to have a break here. So let's take a break, and uh, then you will tell us what, what was the charm school you got from me. Okay. Break. Break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The ADESIS management methodology increases the speed at which organizations are able to implement change and solve their problems. The methodology introduces an innovative process, culture, and system that allow organizations to achieve dramatic growth in both revenue and profits. Build your success from within. ADESIS Management Methodology is delivered by the ADESIS Institute with offices worldwide, introducing a new management paradigm 
Visit www.adesis.com for the Adesis Institute today. The Adesis Speakers Bureau can present the Adesis methodology and its approach to harnessing the power of change to your top management team. The presentations, either in person or via a live video hookup, can be delivered in a two-, four-, or six-hour format. Participants can derive immediate benefit from the material and put their new knowledge to use right away. For luncheons, corporate retreats, and strategic planning meetings presented in a variety of languages, visit www.adesis.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Adesis Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak Adesis. If you have a question or comment about the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to paula at adesis.com, spelled A like America, D like Denmark, I like Israel, Z like in Zambia, E like in Ecuador, and S like Spain. Now, back to the program. What did you learn from that chump school when you came to me? You know, we went to my boat and were sitting down and talking on my, on my yacht. What was it? So there were, were two very, very interesting things. Um, the first dealt with the reason for me to go to charm school and use an analogy that I've used ever since in my style working with our board, working with, with other managers in my company. But um, it doesn't matter the specific issue. But there was an issue in the company. Politically, it got brought up in something that I had said. And the analogy used was that there was a pile of dog crap in the middle of the boardroom. <laughs> that the board members knew to walk around it, right. so they wouldn't step on it. And over some short, finite period of time, it developed enough crust that it didn't smell. So they they didn't even think it was there because they wouldn't step on it. They walked around it, and it didn't have any odor. And then after several years, I came along with a shovel, and all I did was break the crust. So now it began to stink, and all of them thought I put it there. Um, now, again, there's many things, and you would say that the person that breaks the crust shouldn't fundamentally – get into trouble, but that's the reality. Oh, you get in trouble, sure. It's so you're the whistleblower, right? Yeah. So your statement was never break the crust unless you have the power to remove the pile. That's right. And typically, you don't have the power yourself to m- remove the pile. That's where the I function comes in. Right. You have to get partners. You have to get people behind you for any issue that you're going to bring up that's against the mainstream, that they're with you and the pile can be removed. So that was was a very, very good lesson that I think is true with most aspects of business and life, that it's much better to understand there's a pile here. I need to have people with me so I can remove it before I address it. I would like to uh, to make a commentary on this. Uh, audience can, uh, the, the audience that listening can understand what's going on here beyond what the example is giving. What is a use? What does it mean to have a problem? A problem means that you have... A solution. And what is a solution you must have? If you don't have a solution, you're not a manager. A difference between an employee and a manager is 
employees point at problems. Managers have solutions. If you come to me and say, this is the problem, and you put the monkey on my shoulders, the time to solve the problems for you, you're not a manager. You're an employee just complaining and showing this is the problem, that's the problem, this is the problem. A mature person solves the problem. Manager has to solve the problem. Now, what does it mean to solve the problem? You must have the capability to solve the problem. And that capability cannot be yours alone. You alone cannot do it. You have to identify whose cooperation do I need in order to solve the problem? Whom else do I need? It's like a political process of building a coalition. You have to build a coalition to solve the problem. So when you came there and you hit the crust and made the whole room stink, obvious, and you didn't solve the problem, you just made the room stink, why would you be liked, you know? Why would people like you? Obviously, they will not like you. But if you come in, you identify there is a pile of crap on the table, and then you go and build a coalition and solve the problem and remove the crap, you're a winner. And that's what we are looking at leaders. Leaders solve problems. Don't talk about problems. Okay, so that was, was the number one. And the number two is a very, very interesting point that is absolutely universally true. But you'd asked me to... Um, draw more or less an atomic model with myself as the nucleus and to draw orbitals around myself with the one who I'm the closest with, who I get along with the best, who supports me the most, closest to me, and go point by point towards an outer ring. And you asked me a question. You said, so what does ring number one, what does that person need from you? And I told you what it was very clearly. And you said, do you fulfill that need? And I said, yes, absolutely. We went on and on through each ring that I was getting less close to. And it came to the second that I was the furthest away from. And you said, do you know what he needs from you? And I said, yes. Um, do you fulfill that need? I said, sometimes. He said, okay, so you're making a choice that he's that distance from you because you're not fulfilling his need. And then it came to the person who actually caused me the problem, why I came to you mm -hmm. or why I was sent to you. And you said, what does he need from you? And I said, I honestly don't know. And your answer was, until you can figure that out, you can have no contact with him. And that was a very, very insightful thing. That's why he's far away from the cycle, from the nucleus. I, I, it wasn't <laughs> cognitive not to meet his need. I had no idea what his need was. And that was a very, very interesting input. So that was the, the two major things that I learned at that offsite. And let's make a commentary about that. You see, interrelationships are based on need. We all have needs. Animals don't go to a dry water hole. They go to a water hole which satisfies their needs. And I think what we have to identify, if somebody wants to support us, it's because we support them. It's a mutually supporting organization. That's what mutual trust comes from. That you can be trusted to satisfy a need that somebody has. And the way to gain power in a company, the way to gain power is... Look how many people you can satisfy the needs. Because the more satisfied needs you satisfy, the closer they get to you. And what happens then? They will co cooperate with you. So it's an exchange. It is You cannot live in a vacuum and then be surprised why people do not cooperate. Well, they don't cooperate because you're not cooperating with them. It is an exchange. A hand washes a hand. This is a, one of the expressions from the people. Hand washes hand. You cannot wash a hand by yourself. It has to be washing each other. And that's what the teamwork really talks about. So you've been using, I think, 16 years ago that you talked about it and it stayed with you. I can see that. 
I wasn't 16 years old. We had that. It was 16 years ago? We had our first meeting. Oh, yeah, we were yeah, doing yeah, right. development. Whatever. Uh, 14 years. 10, but it's been more than 10 years. Yeah. More than 10 years. Definitely more than 10. And have you used any other concepts in managing the company? Any of these concepts? Any other concepts? Um, definitely. The I don't know if you recall it, and I spent a lot of time because it it, it rung to me to be an eternal principle. But at one point in talking about change, it was actually at the first offsite we had had when you came to my company. Um, you put a Venn diagram on the board, and it was should, want, and is. And that very strong impact on you. And, and I focused and worked on that to a tremendous amount. And the question was, what should the organization be? What does the organization want to be? And what is the organization really? And that has driven almost all the change in the company, everything that we've done, because it's the, the interesting thing, and it, it very much is an interesting thing, is the company itself, myself as a CEO, can never really tell what the is state truly is. You need a third person. That's why a great marriage is a great marriage, because the spouse holds up a mirror to you and tells you exactly what you are. You never know yourself. You know what your heart is. You don't know what your actions are telling the world. But the mirror has to be held up by a third party. In a company, especially a good company, you try to empower all your engineers. You give them as much empowerment as you possibly can. By definition, they will never, ever tell about problems. They believe they can solve them all. So maybe one out of ten problems, the first level engineer, the manager, finds out about. One out of ten, that manager tells his manager. By the time a problem comes to me inside the company, it's a disaster. The only way I know what's really going on in the company is by visiting customers. So that Venn diagram, the, the want, the should, and the is, drove me to really know that I must always interface with customers. I spend as much time with customers as I do inside the company because they are the ones that tell me what the company really is. I can never find that out internally. I really can't. But I can definitely get it from my customers. And then the, the ability to really focus on that to say, what should we be and what do we want to be? And to always be balancing that because those three circles, it's very important to get them to overlap totally. Very few people ever achieve that in their life. I do have that benefit in my spouse. She has achieved it. Very few people do. Companies hardly ever do. But even if they can get it close, it'll fall apart unless you continually reevaluate and continually change because the should always changes. Customers' needs change. Change is the one constant. And if you're not understanding, if you're not real-time finding out what you should be, you can never align what you want to be to what you should be. It's a very, very interesting thing. But that whole cycle, if the should and the is overlap and there is no want, you can't sustain it because people have to want to do the right thing. You cannot enforce doing the right thing. If the want and the is overlap and there's no should, you go out of business. That's just self-indulgent. So it's, but to get the three together, the want, the should, and the is, it takes continual cycles of learning and continual change. And that was an Adesis principle that has been the heart of our company's growth. And it's a tough thing because people are resilient and resistant to change. So to always have to think about that and to work it, what is the is right now and what is the should? And how do we drive the emotions of the company to want to be the should? So it's, that is a very, very important principle. Uh, for those of you that are listening, you can find this material in several of my books, uh, the Corporate Life Cycles book, 
and in the Mastering Change book, but I will comment what it really means in, in personal life right after the break. Let's take a break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Learn about applying the ADESIS methodology in your organization's decision-making process. Our comprehensive training programs include a three-day introduction to the ADESIS methodology, Breakthrough to Prime, and Leading Highly Effective Teams, a detailed seven-day seminar. The seminars are valuable for corporate leaders, key executives, and others involved in the decision-making process. Our trainings are available around the world and in multiple languages. For more information about these and other training programs available, please visit adesis.com. Join the Adesis Graduate School for online master's and Ph.D. programs. Get involved with in-depth research into how change can be managed on many levels across disciplines and cultures worldwide. The clinical programs train practitioners with methods that have been used with exceptional results by certified Adesis associates and clients for decades. Core concepts include the proven Adesis theory and spiral dynamics, an emerging theory of human social evolution. For more information, go to adesisgraduateschool.org. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Adesis Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak Adesis. If you have a question or comment about the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to paula at adesis.com, spelled A like America, D like Denmark, I like Israel, Z like in Zambia, E like in Ecuador, and S like Spain. Now, back to the program. I just read in a certain book of psychology, I think, self-help, it says, there are three U's, what you should do, that your mother tells you, and your father tells you, and your wife tells you, and your everybody else tells you what you should be. There is you, what you want to be, and that is what you really are. And this is the one that we know the least about. <laughs> we know the least about who we really are. Now, how do you find out what is going on? Same thing happens not just in personal life. It happens also in companies. It happens in strategic planning. You know, are we doing what we should be doing? Because the stockholders tell us to do or whatever. Do we do what we really want to do? Or do we do what we needs to be done because the situation calls for it? Totally difficult to know how to differentiate between the three. And because we don't know, we cannot differentiate, we usually make a mistake. We don't pay attention to what is. And pay attention that change happens with is. You have to start with is. All change should start with is. And here is why, audience, please. It's one of my lectures that I already did in the previous segments. There is a limited energy that every system has. You as a person has a limited energy too. There is no unlimited energy. If you are fighting 
for what you want and what should be, you don't have the energy to recognize what is. The way you recognize what is, what really is going on, you remove the want and the should, you remove the ego, remove everything. I say, I don't want nothing. I don't take nothing I should do. I have no expectations. Thus, I can see what is going on. Very difficult to do it by yourself. And Russell is absolutely right. The outside, by not having want and should, can tell you what is going on. They tell you the truth. And we know that in personal life, who usually tells us what is going on? Our kids. You know what the kids tell you? The kids look at you, tell you, let me tell you what's going on. How the hell do they know? They don't have the want and they should. So they can tell you the what is. They see it with clear eyes. So you need an external source to help you see the reality. Because you might be a prisoner of the wants and the shoulds that were implanted in your cognitive thinking. That was, thank you very much. What, are there any other things that Adidas has helped your company? That you can think of? Structure, we say, and this all of Structure was the kickoff of everything. But the whole concept of AEINP, of understanding the personalities of AEINP, it's, it's a very, very important point to really know within your staff who has what within yourself because an A is needed. Right. Most leaders don't have an awful lot of A. That's right. So you have to staff with it. It's, a, it's an interesting point. If you know your deficiency and you try to focus on improving your deficiency, personally, your strengths become weak because you don't focus on your strengths. So you staff your deficiencies. That's an Adesis thought. But understand what they are and then staff for it. And make sure that you spend all your time on your strengths because that's why you're there where you are. So that's the AINP is very, very interesting. But beyond the point of the personalities came a remarkable, remarkable um, blog that you did on the AINP. You called it a marketing, but sales. It's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And it's an interesting, interesting point that if you have a track record of some success and then you talk about the values of the company, what you're focused on, what you believe in, the type of change you're trying to do, how you motivate Executives love it because they see the difficulties of trying to implement values in their own companies. So I think you talked about that. You talked about it, I think, with Body Shop, about the highest level of sales is selling the eye. It's selling the values of the company. And that's so true. But it has to be at the right level and the right times. And a CEO can do a great job of selling the eye. A salesperson can't. The, the salesperson has to sell Sometimes the E, sometimes the P. Sure, 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 sure. Now, for those of you that are not cognizant of this PAI thing, let me uh, interpret what Sarasar is saying for all of you. When you advertise your company and you promote your company, you can promote all your products. Uh, I was using the example of a bank. You can promote, you say, here is what the bank does. We give loans and we do this and we do that and these are the services. This is what they call the P advertising. You can advertise how you do the business. You know that we are uh, very good in quality and we have an excellent quality and we have, I don't know, a track record, whatever. Or you can sell your values. What does it mean, sell values? Tell who you are, what you stand for. And then the company, the people come to you because they love who you are. 
The products can change, but who you are does not change. And I was using the example of the body shop. People were not that much excited about the product as much as they were excited with the message on no animal testing and protecting the environment. You know what? People came to buy the product because they wanted to support the image, the message, the values that the company had. What are your values? If it's profits, you're going to be in trouble. It cannot be just profits. It has to be more than profits. Sell in a way that produces profits. Because if you focus just on profits, you might miss the target. Anything else that you want to tell us? Yeah, very still related to that same point of the AI and P. Um, you had said at least in a lecture, and I'm sure it's in, in one of the books, but, but you had talked about the fact that a good leader can be really any combination of the A, E, and P. But if they don't have I, companies fail. And the reason that startups fail many times right. is that there's a very big E who hires a very big P. Right. They drive it to a certain level, and neither one has I. Neither right. one is an integrator. Right. Now, the interesting thing, and this is something I think is 100% true, the a person is either creative or they're not. They're either a performer or they're not, and they're either an A or they're not. You, you cannot develop yourself in that. For the most part, there's tricks for each of them, but you can't develop it. If you're not creative, you'll never be creative. But everyone can learn to be an integrator, and it's fundamentally driven through the values of the company. If you really do have values in the company and you hold to it consistently, and you really drive that people are rewarded because of pulling people in rather than pushing people out, people will adapt that, that, that quality of an eye. Now, there's some that are still naturalized. There are people that they just make the whole room mellow just when they enter. Everyone's content. Everyone's at peace. There's others, though, that can learn the skills to be an I. In fact, I think that everybody can. And of the A, I, and P, I think the, the I is the only one people can learn because it's, it's, wow. it's behavioral, and you can cognitively change that behavior. It's Do not you a you characteristic. You changed yourself. I believe I became much more of an I, extremely. This is a success story that I have to, I'm really feeling so gratified. Because I've known, as you, as we said from the beginning of this show, that I've known Russell for, from the day he joined Applied Material, and he was a roving P. I mean, there was a P. If there was a P, it was Russell. That's why he was sent to me for what he called the charm school, to sit down and try to, uh, to develop his attention to other people, you know, rather than just to be driving it by himself. So this, telling me now all of this is so gratifying, you know, because many times I write my books and I give my lectures and I never know whether anybody pays attention to it. It's kind of like putting the seeds in the air and you don't know whether anything, any flower comes out of it. So thank you, Russell. That really makes me feel gratified that my work is not in vain. So you, you developed the eye. Did you have any difficulties in making these changes? How did, did anything resistance within you to make that change because it's a major change going from P into more I. No, I don't think I really had a, a difficulty at all. There, there are still times as an executive, as a CEO, where you have to say, okay, this is what we're doing and I made the decision and we're going forward. There, there are times that sure. you just you need to do that. that that's, that's part of the job. But still, as you talked about forming a coalition, 
you always have to form the coalition. After the decision's made, yes. you go back and you pull in the supporters. You can't have a staff that's not with you. It just doesn't work. Right. So, uh, but the biggest thing for change, and, and I really do think this, yeah. is the desire to want to change. It's the same with the company. Why did most New Year's resolutions never work? Because people try to stop something without replacing it with something good. If you know that there's something good, it's easy to develop that behavior and to stop another behavior because you have a higher order principle you're going after. So as long as you believe in it, change is not so difficult. And there's always Very little stumbling blocks, but, but you have to believe something of a higher order and that it's a value that you wish. Russell, before... After the break, I want to ask you a very, very important question. Let's take a break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Dr. Ishak Adesis is one of the leading management experts in the world. He has written 14 books that address the challenges facing top management. Books by Dr. Adesis can be found in 24 languages. They can be purchased at the Adesis store at www.adesis.com or on Amazon.com. Electronic versions are now available for three of the books with more to come. These books reflect over 40 years of study in the fields of management and organizational change. Pick up a copy of one of the books for yourself or as a gift today. Top Leaf is a turnkey management development curriculum that consists of a set of 20 to 30 minute videos presented by Dr. Ishak Adesis, creator of the methodology and founder of the Adesis Institute. The Adesis methodology is considered by many to be a solid foundation for all organizational development. The Top Leaf curriculum is made up of three programs. Top Leaf can be used by individuals, by organizations, and by trainers and consultants looking for new content to offer their clients. For more information about Topleaf, visit www.adesis.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Adesis Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak Adesis. If you have a question or comment about the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to paula at adesis.com, spelled A like America, D like Denmark, I like Israel, Z like in Zambia, E like in Ecuador, and S like Spain. Now, back to the program. Have you ever made a major mistake, Russell? A mistake that really you bang your head against the wall and says, why did I make this mistake? Did you ever make a mistake? Did you ever fail? I've made very, very big mistakes. I don't think I've ever failed. But there's a very big difference between the two. What's the difference? Failure deals with despair. It deals with being a victim. It deals with thinking you can never get out of the status that you're in. No matter how big a mistake you've made, you can always take what you've learned and turn it into greatness. And I really believe that. So I've made, since being at Tower, 
before we became Tower Jazz, I made a very, very big mistake with a customer. I took their word on something, and it wasn't, I mean, it, it was a very big mistake. But it didn't kill the company. It was a setback. But we just went another route and made everything greater. So there's things in hindsight that I would have done differently. That was probably the biggest mistake that I've made. I've made mistake with staffing all along. I mean, there's always times that you hire someone, you really believe that they're the right person for the job, and you find out that they're not. But the biggest thing with mistakes is to make them fast and correct them quickly. If you do a, a mistake with staffing, it's to the benefit of that person to have them go elsewhere. It's not to their disadvantage. And that's where a lot of people make mistake. Even as the company grows, the person that was the right person on your staff for some period of time can possibly no longer be the right person. It's fair to them and to you, and certainly for your customers and your shareholders, to give them an opportunity to leave because they'll be more successful by going elsewhere. No one in the long term is better off by being in a role where they can't flourish. So mistakes, I think I continue to make mistakes. Beautiful, beautiful distinction. Let me repeat it for everyone again. A mistake you did not learn from it and you did not correct, that's failure. Mm -hmm. That is a failure. But the mistake for which you learned and you corrected after you learned what to do, that not, that's not a failure. That was a learning experience. And you do not learn without having problems, without having what you call mistakes. How can you learn if you don't have a mistake? What do you learn from? You have to learn from experience. And what is experience? You know, they say good decisions are made on based on good experience. And what's a good experience? Based on bad, ex, bad what, sorry, good decisions are made of experience. And bad experience gives you the learning for which to make better decisions later on. So what, what, what Russell is saying, and I hope everybody heard it loud and clear, it is not the mistake that's the problem. It comes with a territory called living. You are alive and making decisions. You are not going to make 100% decisions all the time. You're going to make mistakes, especially when you're trying something new and when you're you know, you driving it very hard. If you don't learn from it and if you don't change and, don't make, and you don't make the corrective action, that is a failure. The idea is how well did you learn and how fast did you make the corrective action. That, uh, this is the secret. Exactly. Russell, where do we go from here, my friend? You're going to be a billion dollars by the year 2014. We're targeting. And then there. what? Then what? what? What is your goal? What, what are you aiming for as a person? As a person? Yes. There's a, a quote that I truly love from an Arthur Orson Scott Card. It's in the Ender's Game series. And he says, changing the world is good for those who want their names in history books. But happiness is reserved for those who write their names in the lives of others and hold the hearts of others as the treasure most dear. Wow. Um, I really enjoy seeing the company grow. I have a lot of joy in that. I truly do. But maybe the greatest joy is seeing people's lives change. And as a company becomes successful, as you identify people, especially young engineers, and you give them big challenges, and you let them take them on and be successful, you develop confidence. And there's a real truth in the fact that a confident man or woman 
If they go home having met big challenges, being successful with big challenges, they're much better fathers and mothers or much better husbands and wives because they don't go home frustrated. They go home feeling excited and not content. Content's not necessarily the right word, but invigorated with their job. And you spend so much time at work that they come home being better parents. The family unit is better. The community becomes better. Everything becomes better. So the, the job environment is absolutely essential for the functioning of society. And the responsibility of a CEO and a management team to provide people with big challenges, no matter what level they are, that everyone in a company, even those that are average, those that are below average, they still should be met with challenges, the ability to be successful with those challenges, and to go home with a good feeling about what they've done. And then the company has really done its part in society. And that's exciting for me, to take young engineers, high potential people, to identify them, to, to give them big opportunities that moves the whole company forward. No, no leader, we have 3,300 people in the company. No leader can identify at that scale every high potential young engineer. But as long as those that you have really are high potential and you give them opportunities and visibility, then all the other high potentials want to prove they're just as good. You develop an incredibly strong group of great people because they want to show they can be just as good as the one that was given the opportunities. If you don't identify these young people and give them opportunities, you have mediocrity throughout the company. And that's an exciting thing to, to identify, to give people a chance to grow, and to have the other people that are excited, that have passion, want to show more passion to show that they're just as good. And that's the exciting of being a leader. And, and in order to get these opportunities and to get the, you need to have the right structure, the right process, the right direction, the right focus, all of the good management. Otherwise, it will be an empty world. I'm very impressed with that. Are you not going to retire? I mean, how much longer are you going to work? Uh, I'm right now 57. Um, so you have another, at least 15 years to go. I think another 13 anyway. 13. So, You're aiming for that. I think, and then we'll see what happens. But 13 years, tower is going to be much bigger and bigger and bigger. This is a great job. I want to thank you, Russell, for a very interesting contribution. I think many managers are going to learn from you and implement that, and hopefully you'll make it, you, you know, they're going to make a better world as well like you're doing it. Thank you very much for the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us this week for Adesis Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak Adesis. Please tune in again next Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy your weekend and a successful week.